So last week, we kicked off a brand new series titled Difficult People. We're going to continue that today, and we're going to talk about the downers. You know who these people are, right? They're the ones that when you ask, hey, who's going to be there, and you find out, you do the emoji with the teeth, you're like... Like, oh, I don't want to hang out with them. They're the ones that you're probably not going to invite to come over and watch the game with you. If you do meet up with them and you have coffee with them, you probably walk out feeling drained and exhausted. You, you just don't enjoy being around them. At the office, they're the ones that you take the long way around the office just to avoid them. The, the downers, the ones that just... Take the life out of us. I don't think there's a better example of a downer than the old Saturday Night Live skit, Debbie Downer. Do you remember that, right? She just, she pulls everyone down. And she has these little one-line zingers where she'll say it's this morbid comment in this group context. And then it zooms in on her face and it's like, wah, 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 right? And just... And then the, the cast starts to crack up, and it ends up being way funnier than if she just would have delivered her, her deadpan line. But it's harder for us to figure out if someone's playing the role of the downer. No one, we don't have a soundtrack that follows the people in our life to cue us, oh, they're being a downer. Oh, they're trying to, to suck the life out of us. They're trying to kill the mood. They are negative, and they're controlling, and they are unhealthy, and we don't have that wah, wah, wah to go along with them to cue us off when they are a downer. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about, I think, the one person in Scripture that absolutely deserves to be a downer. If, if anyone would be the poster child for the downer support group, it is this guy right here. He is this example of someone that had the worst circumstances happen to him. Just a terrible life, a terrible thing. And if anyone's going to be a downer, it's this person. It's Job. But somehow he doesn't turn into that. Somehow he figures out how to be down without being a downer. And that's why I want to look at his life today. We're going to look at the story of Job. And it's this really unique setting where, and, and this isn't prescriptive. This doesn't mean this happens all the time or that any bad thing in life, this is Satan testing us, right? It, it doesn't mean that if you didn't get your parking spot in, in, the, in the grocery store parking lot. It's like, oh, God, why are you testing me? No. All right? But it is really unique what happens here. Satan comes to, to God, and, and he's looking for someone to just to go after. And God offers Job up a little bit on a platter. and's like, hey, have you seen Job? He's pretty amazing. He is righteous, and he is steadfast, and he won't curse me. He, he is faithful. And Satan's like, well, yeah, of course, but that's only because you've protected him, and that's only because he has all this stuff, and if you took away all that stuff, then things would be different. And so God, in this story, in this context, temporarily grants Satan the ability to, to mess with Job. And he starts to go to work on his life. 
Job is, is wealthy. He is well-known in the area. He is the greatest man in the East. I mean, he is, he is big time. And he has a servant run up to him, and he says, hey, all of, all of your oxen and all of your donkeys were, were just stolen. I, I, I'm the only person that was able to get away, and it just happened. All the ox, all of the donkeys, they're all, they're all gone. As that servant is speaking, another servant runs up. And he says, you won't believe what just happened. There was this fire that came down, and all of your sheep and all of your servants are, are gone. They were consumed by this fire. I barely escaped. I'm the only one that was able to get away and tell you. As that person is talking, there's another servant that runs up. And he says, hey, all of your camels were just stolen by this raiding party. Like, they, they came in, they took them. I'm the only one that got away. It just happened. As that servant is speaking, another one runs up and says, hey, your sons and your daughters were all having lunch together, and there was this giant wind, and the building collapsed, and they're all gone. I was the only one that escaped. He loses everything in a matter of seconds. It continues. He doesn't curse God. And Satan's frustrated, and he comes back to, to God, and he says, well, it's only because you've given him his health. And because you haven't allowed me to inflict his body, that's the only reason why he hasn't cursed you yet. And so God gives him temporarily the ability to inflict his body, and he gets these sores from his head to his feet. So bad, he's in so much anguish, he takes broken pottery to, to do homemade surgery to try and relieve some of the pain. He has lost everything. He is down in the dumps, so much so that his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. This is not a happy home life. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. So as, as I worked through this passage in preparing this, this message, I was just struck at how Job responded. I, I was struck at all of this bad has happened in his life and just everything taken away, but how does he respond? He, he's upset, of, of course. He's definitely upset. He's down, but he doesn't become a downer. He was steadfast. He was down, but not a downer. How can he do that? What can we learn from his story? The, the first thing that we notice here is that it's okay to be down. Terrible things happened to Job's life. It's okay to not be okay in that setting, in that situation. We all carry hurts, right? We all carry burdens. I don't exactly know what yours are. I don't know the thing that frustrates you or the thing that inflicts you, the thing that bothers you, but I do know that we have all carried around some, some pretty big hurt and some pretty big trauma over the last year and a half. It has changed the way that we live. It has changed the way that we work. It has changed the way that we've had to, to teach our kids. It's changed the way that we go out of the house. It's changed the way that we, we shop and we interact. It's changed who we can hang out with. We have all gone through this collective trauma that has changed our lives. There's a baseline level of anxiety that didn't used to be there. For me, there's this like pressure in my chest that's like, 
just trying to catch my breath sometimes, of feeling the weight and the anxiety of everything that's going on. We're trying to do everything that we used to, but I don't think we're back 100% to where we were. Things are just harder. You talk to any parent, and it's more difficult right now. People are tired. People don't want to serve and volunteer. Trust me, I see this all the time. All the churches that we talk to say we're struggling with volunteers. Our people are just tired and they don't want to engage. We've all been through some stuff. And sometimes we have to say it's okay to feel the way that we do. The last couple weeks, I've had three people in my life use the word uh, the depressed or depression, that they're, they're feeling depressed. It's not normal that I have that many people using that word. Uh, I think that, yeah, we've gone through this, but also I think there's a, a social awareness that we can talk about mental health issues now. It, it's okay to do that. I don't think there's a better example than what we saw over the summer and what we saw in the Olympics. We, we saw Simone Biles, right, have to pull out of her events in the Olympics. And, and I don't know if, if you know a whole lot about her story or what she's gone through in the last several years, but she has had this very vocal and public um, portrayal of the, the trauma and the abuse that she has gone through. She's had to be a representative for U.S. women's gymnastics to hold the organizations accountable for the trauma and the abuse that they suffered. She has had to do interviews, and eventually she has had to testify in front of Congress about what had happened. And she said that when she was in Tokyo for the Olympics over the summer, all of the triggers for her, they were all in full effect. And her anxiety was so high that she got what gymnasts call the, the twisties. You heard about this, right? That as she was spinning in the air, she lost her sense of awareness and where she was in space. And her body could no longer do the things that she had trained her body to do, to spin and twist and flip with, without regard of her of her life and her safety, and all of a sudden, because she was not in a great mental place, she couldn't do it. She had to pull out, and she had to go from a competitor to a cheerleader, and watching her sit in the stands and cheer on her team and to support her team was a beautiful thing. To see her prioritize herself and her mental health was a brave and a bold thing. We have all been through a lot, and it's okay to be down. We need to take care of ourselves, and we need to do the things that help us to improve. So what does that look like, and what do we see from the story of Job? We see him call in help, and that's the first thing that happens after he loses everything. We see some friends that show up. In Job chapter 2, it says, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes, and they met together in agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes, they sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat on the ground with him, 
for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. These guys start off as a perfect example of friendship and of support. They are silent. They are steadfast. There is solidarity there among them. It is a perfect example. I pray that you all have someone in your life that would do this for you, that would show up in your darkest moment when you need the help, that they would come and just sit and be with you someone who knows the good and the bad and the ugly of your life, someone that you can count on, someone you can call on, someone that's built trust over time to be able to do that. Do you have that in your life? And if you don't, I cannot more highly recommend a life group so you can start to build that type of support and structure in your life. We know it's okay to to be down. We see Job's anguish We see his confusion. We see his frustration. He he doesn't curse God, but they sit in silence with him for seven days. But then they open their mouths, (laughs) and they clearly don't know what's going on. (laughs) They start giving advice, and it's not very good advice. Essentially, they go, Job, you must have done something wrong. Surely this is your fault, Surely there is sin in your life, and that's why God is punishing you. Each friend just thinks you must have messed up. You can't be blameless like you say that you are. Surely there's something there. Eventually, Job calls them miserable comforters. They are just miserable people to have around. And so I want to ask the question, who were you listening to? Who do you listen to in your life? Uh, I've had two videos go viral in my lifetime. I don't know if you know that. That's my, maybe my claim to fame. And uh, both were videos that I put together of my kids after one was born of my oldest meeting his little brother and kind of their interaction at the, the hospital. And then I did another video when the boys met my daughter and, and their, their interaction. And uh, just took the footage and compiled it and threw it on YouTube so I could share with family and friends and had some people reach out about us, reach out about sharing the footage with them and licensing it, and it sounded like a scam, and this happened a couple times, and eventually I talked to someone on the phone and realized, oh, they really are a real company and they want to license the stuff, and so I sold them the license. We made a couple hundred bucks on it, but then that next morning, that's when it hit. And the Daily Mail picked it up, and then Yahoo picked it up, and probably each one has over 10 million views. It was, it was nuts. And so people texting us, hey, I just saw your kids on Facebook, and da-da-da-da. I read one comment on each video, and I knew right then and there that I didn't want to ever read a comment on those videos ever again. The first one was making fun of how my wife sounded in the video. And the second comment that I read was uh, saying what terrible parents we were that would allow our daughter to be with 
these toddlers that she was going to get smashed or suffocated, and we must just be the biggest idiots in the entire world. And that moment right there was like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to read this. This is not good. These people have no idea who I am. They have no idea that the kids are really like six and eight years old by the time this hit the internet, and that they all lived, and it's okay. <laughs> they don't have my best interests at heart. But who does? What are you listening to? Are you allowing things in your life that don't need to be there? Is it time to maybe turn it off, to turn off the music that you listen to and the influences and the messages that you're learning from that? Is it maybe time to turn off the cable news channel and the fear-based headlines that you're intaking? Is it time to maybe turn off the social media feed. Because we've learned now, right, that all of those algorithms are designed to feed us more content. They're designed to push more extreme content. They're designed to invoke fear in us, to give us that hit of dopamine, to keep us scrolling and to keep us clicking so that they can make money on us. We, we know these things now. Is it time for us to, to shut it down and to stop listening to these things in our lives. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to bad advice or are we listening to good advice? Job's friends were not giving good advice. They're like getting your medical advice from a Google search, right? Oh, I have a pain in my elbow. Oh, it's cancer. You're going to die, right? It's not good. You, you can't just trust everything that you search. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says, it's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person to, than to listen to the songs of the fools. Proverbs tells us, listen to good advice if you want to listen, if you want to live well. What are we listening to? Part of calling in help is constructive criticism. We do need to listen and be open to people that have our best interests at mind. We do need to be open and ready to listen to people that want to help us. It's in that word, constructive, that care about us, that want what's best for us. The, the people that, hey, I know this is hard to hear, but I, I see this in you. Or, hey, have you thought about this? Here's maybe a better way to go about that conversation. Here's maybe a better way to handle this. People that actually can speak into our lives. Do you have people that can offer you constructive criticism? Proverbs 15 tells us, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home, at, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject a discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. We need to call in help. We need to call in the right kind of help. And then we need to listen constructively. The last thing that we see in Job's life is that we need to trust God's plan. We need to trust his plan. We need to trust that there's more going on than what we can actually see. We need to see that God is working in our midst, even though we might not see it or we may not understand it. If we're going to be down and not a downer, we need to trust 
God's plan. Job's a man of integrity, right? We, we, we see that. We see he doesn't curse God, but he grows more and more frustrated as this book goes on. He doesn't curse him, but he is frustrated, and it really comes down to two things. He feels like God is being silent with him, and he feels like God is being distant to him. And he can't get his questions answered. He throws the stuff out at God. Where are you? Why would you? Where's my sin? What's going on? And he doesn't hear a response, and we see his frustration grow. He says in in verse 13, he says, But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Only grant me these two things, God, then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. You can kind of see he's getting a little too big for his britches right here. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? He's getting upset. He thinks that there's silence and there's distance between him and God. Why is this happening? Have you ever asked that question? God, why would you let this happen? God, where are you in this situation? God, don't you understand? God, don't you care about me? I think we've all been there. And then God speaks to Job. And God speaks. Now, you have to imagine your best James Earl Jones voice here, okay? Because God gets pretty, this is the parent authoritative knife hand setting here. God God responds to him. And he says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand, Job. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. You can kind of see him being a little, like, he's laying it into him. Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years, Job. Surely you know what's going on. And then God goes on for two solid chapters about how the heavens work and how light works. And do you know how snow happens and where I store the rain and do the lightning bolts respond to you? Do you control these things, Job? I don't think so. Job tries to to back up. And he's, he knows he's stepped in it. He knows he's in trouble. And he tries to rewind this. And in 40 verse 4, he says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I, I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Please get me out of this situation. I don't want to do this. I messed up. I'm sorry but God's not done. God's going to keep going. I hope that this week you can read, read the first two chapters and read the last two chapters of Job. It is amazing to hear what God does and what he says. He goes on to say, 
the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. And he lays into him again. And he goes through two more chapters of, do you understand how nature works? Can you control the wild animals and the, the beasts of the land and the sea? Do you know how this works, Job? And of course the answer is no. Job's put in his place. And he says, I know you can do all things. Job says, no plan of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things that I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Remember, he thought he was distant. He thought he was silent. That's not the case now. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's biggest frustration was that God was silent and distant. Those things turned out to be 100% false. He is close, and God is active. God knows our hearts. God hears us, and God is active in the situations going on in our lives. Satan wreaked havoc on Job's life, and God permitted it temporarily. But for Job, this story represents a process of self-discovery. And and this may be the most important thing for you this morning. This may be the the one thing that that drives home, that you need to hear, and the reason why you're here with us. Job was shaped by the pain. Job was changed in this process of what he has experienced, what he went through. And I want to say the same thing to you. Is it possible that God is working in the midst of your pain right now? Is it possible that the difficult situation that you're going through, that God is not distant and God is not silent, but that he is close to you in that right now? And is it possible that God could be using that to refine you, to to help you understand your values and the things that you care about. Uh, Almost every person that's in some type of field of caring has had a difficult thing happen in their life, has had some type of trauma, and it's because of that that they respond the way that they do. Maybe you're a good parent, and you strive to be a good parent because you didn't have one growing up. Maybe you get involved and you serve and you give back to your community because you remember that time that someone put groceries on your doorstep when you didn't have any. Maybe you teach because you didn't have someone in your life. There was a teacher that saw you and noticed you and changed your life and you want to do that for someone else. Is it possible that God is using your pain right now and that God will transform you and do something with you. Job is eventually restored. God helps him reconcile with his friends. God allows his family to, um, to, to come back. He allows him to have more kids and uh, allows him to, to gain wealth again and to live this really great life for many, many years to come. Job's eventually restored says, the Lord blessed the later part of his life more than the first. He learned to trust God. He learned to trust God's plan. 
Job learned that he wasn't in control, but he also learned that his pain was not wasted. He's changed. Yes, we are going to suffer in this life. Yes, bad things can happen to good people. Yes, we can be down, but the Lord is with us, and he is speaking to us, and he is near to us, and he is changing us. And that's how we can be down and not be a downer.